welcome again to a novel evening. I'm Danny. You can find me over on Instagram as Blotted Ink Books or on TikTok as a novel evening podcast. It's a new week. It's a new episode. Um, I really can't believe that I've now recorded over 100 of these. Um, it's wild. Um, I've been so, so lucky to welcome so many incredible authors onto this podcast. And this week is absolutely no exception. I am joined by Fiona Valpi. Um, her newest book, The Cypress Maze, is, oh my goodness. I mean, if you love a true piece of historical fiction, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous story. It's based on a true story as well. Um, so I immediately have so many questions for her. I, I need to know everything about where she discovered this story, where it came from. Um, she has written so many successful novels as well. Um, she is an absolutely incredible author so I have so much to ask her and I cannot wait to find out all about her novel evening so a massive hello to Fiona hello hi Danny it's so great to see you oh and you and thank you so much for joining me and as I was saying a moment ago I'm admiring your beautiful shelves obviously listeners can't <laughs> see but you have a very impressive set of bookshelves around you yeah, I'm I'm a book addict, as as so many of us are. <laughs> yes, guilty. Um, and I just can't when I when I buy books. I mean, I do have a Kindle as well that sits on top of my sort of teetering to read yep. pile on my bedside table. Um, so you know, I've I've got that as well. But when I buy paperbacks and and hardbacks, I just can't bear to get rid of them. So I, mean, I know the feeling. I'm an absolute yeah. book hoarder. I can't do it. <laughs> I know. I'm just going to um, kick, you know, the issue of what to do with my enormous book collection is going to be kicked down the road for someone else to have to deal yeah. with in the fullness of time. One day <laughs> my children are going to hate me. Someday they're going to be left with these like towering piles of books they do not want. <laughs> that I'm not left with. Who knows? They might pick some up and start reading them and think, oh, wow, a new author. Thanks, yeah, Mom. you never know. I hope so. <laughs> and how does it feel for you? I mean, you've written so many novels, you know, beautiful, incredible novels. How does it feel now that you have joined the ranks of people who have you on their shelves? Well, it's amazing. I, I mean, it's just such an honour. And I still have to pinch myself most days to really believe that it's true. Um, I think when I, I, I mean, I started writing, I think my first book was published 10 years ago. And it took me about five years before I could bring myself to say I was a writer and an author because I still couldn't really believe it you know you just you just think this is it's such a dream come true and um, you also have that um, those self-doubts and all sorts of imposter syndrome and thinking you know I'm going to wake up tomorrow and this is all going to just disappear in a puff of smoke so it it's taken me a while but I think I'm getting there you're, you're almost there. You can almost say, I am a <laughs> yeah. writer. And I mean, yeah. you, you are absolutely a writer. You know, you've sold millions of copies of books mm -hmm. and your newest book, we are recording in July and it is out this month. So yes. tell us all about The Cypress Maze. Well, I'd written books set in um, France to begin with. I spent seven years living in France and that was where my, my sort of initial inspiration for writing came from. So I'd, I'd written quite a lot about France um, and then I'd, I'd decided it was time to move around a bit. So um, I wrote a book set in Scotland and then I decided that I needed to 
uh, write a book set somewhere a bit warmer. So I had the excuse of going to do some sunnier research. So for my next book, I bounced to Morocco, to Casablanca. Um, But I've always absolutely loved Italy and been there many times um, and often thought that I would love to write a book set in Italy. And because I also write quite a lot of books set against the backdrop of World War II, I knew that the Italian history of World War II is so incredibly complex. Yes. Um, You know, it's actually completely bonkers, I decided. That's the only, that's the (laughs) the technical researcher's historical term for it. Um, Because, you know, they switched sides several times. There was a civil war going on. And then somewhere in the middle of it all, they decided to... um, wage war against Greece um just you know let's add another war into the mix why not Um, everyone else is doing it exactly exactly so uh, it it took a lot of research and it took a lot of getting my head around just to try and really pin down the timeline because I I think for me I I finally realized Italy just epitomizes the the complete craziness of war and the complexity of it uh, it's you know it's really embodied in that historical timeline. Um, so yeah, I decided I would write the Cypress Maze. It's um, a dual timeline book set, as I say, against the the background of World War Two in Italy, but with a a much more current day strand mm-hmm. as well. Um, and the thing that binds the two strands together really is that each of the principal female protagonists in those different timelines has suffered an incredible and devastating loss and is there or thereabouts you know trying to come to terms with grief um the the woman Beatrice who is our World War II heroine has had a bit longer to live with her grief and to work out ways of of dealing with it and and trying to come to terms with it a bit I always think grief is something you don't get over it. You you learn to live with it and to live around it. Um, and so for our more modern day protagonist, Tess, um, she has lost her, her husband quite recently under terrible circumstances. He's had MND, motor neuron disease. And so she's watched him going through that. And he takes the really devastating decision to go and end his life through assisted dying in Switzerland um so you know Tess has got a lot to have to get her head around and she comes to this beautiful Tuscan estate set up by her grandmother granny is a great for, for setting us up and knowing yeah. what we really need so she puts her in touch with this old old school friend of hers Beatrice Crane and packs Tess off to to have some time alone to sort of try to start um, just having the space to think her grief through, I think, is the best way to describe it. But through listening to Beatrice's story of the war, Tess then finds parallels and connections with her own situation and begins to be able to understand it a bit better, I think. Um, so that's really where it came from. So, so, you know, there's this terrible devastation, terrible grief, Um like all my books, I deal with some pretty dark issues, um, but and I and I, ho- I very much hope I do them justice. 
but there is hope there is like and there is so much beauty when you set it against that backdrop of real you know in the heart of Tuscany a beautiful estate and a stunningly beautiful garden yeah oh I love that I just you can picture it as well I feel like when you set books in place like this it's so vivid you can imagine yourself there yeah. so clearly I hope I so yeah I really yeah. hope so I one thing that um a lot of my readers say is that they they really felt that they were transported to the place that I'm writing about and when they say that I get a um a huge sense of um relief but also pleasure because I then feel well I've, I've done it justice then I th yeah. I'm a very visual person and I'm when I'm writing it's almost as if I'm watching a film of what I'm then writing down so I'm seeing it in my head and if other people can pick up on that and be transported there then that's great you've done your job yeah, yeah. amazing yeah. and where did this story come from for you where did you get this idea from um the wartime story um was from historical research and also having already written a lot about world war ii um in all those different settings that i yeah. mentioned before um you know they all have that world war ii strand in common yeah. um but with slightly different, well, very different stories, depending on the setting and the, and yeah. the historical timeline. Um, the more contemporary strand was a far more personal um, inspiration for me. I had a, a friend and former colleague who was diagnosed with motor neuron disease. Right. And he went through that awful illness with his wife, by his side so she you know rather like Tess in the book she was the, the the carer the supporter the person who is helpless to be able to do anything to help you know your partner um, through this cruel cruel disease um, Richard was incredibly um, brave yeah. his name is Richard Selly and he documented his journey with MND um, he he's written a book called Death Sits on My Shoulder, and it's it's still available, even though he he died a few years ago. Um, and it was really documenting what he was thinking, what he was feeling, what was happening to him through this disease. And he then reached a point where he took this horrendously harrowing decision to go to Dignitas and end his life. Um with his wife going with him and, and you know, being there by his side to try and give him a bit of moral support through this, this terrible ordeal. Um, and all of that was documented. And I've, I just found it. So when it's someone, it, it would be bad enough reading about it yeah. when it's at a distance, but when it's someone who you've known as a friend and a colleague, it's, it really got beneath my skin. Yeah. And so I, I thought about it a lot and then I decided that perhaps the way to help me work it through for myself was to incorporate it um, as a strand in my novel. By coincidence, as so often happens, you know, there's no such thing as coincidence. No. If, you, if you're a writer, your editor will say you can't have coincidences in your book. You know, yeah. too many coincidences, take them out. And I always think life, real life, it has way more coincidences um than than any author could ever dream up um but I was out doing a, a hill walking day um a navigation training day it didn't work I still get lost in the hills but I thought I should go and do this give it a go <laughs> yeah give it a go at least 
try, uh, show willing. So there I was out in the hills on this one day training course. And there was another woman on the course and, and we were both you know, floundering in midge infested hills and in and out of bogs and trying to make sense of the map and the compass and all of that. And inevitably we got chatting and she said, she told me that her husband had had died two years previously from MND. Oh, and I said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm about to, I'm doing some research at the moment. And I explained to her about the situation with it, it being a friend of mine who had um, sort of given me that idea. And I asked her whether she might be prepared to come and talk to me about her experience. Because for Tess in the Cypress Maze, it, you know, she's very much the partner yeah. who is is going through this in her own way and um so this wonderful woman came and we said we'd she would just come to my house and we'd have a scone and a cup of coffee and she would talk to me as much or as little as she felt like five hours later wow. several several scones <laughs> so wow. many cups of coffee <laughs> um she had told me the most incredible, um, given me the most incredible insights into her experience. She really shared. And she told me afterwards that she had never spoken about it like that to anyone and that she had found it very cathartic. So I was, you know, I was really pleased that that was her experience of it. it as I say, this was two years on. So she had had a, enough time to decide whether or not she it was something she wanted to speak yeah. about and she had that sort of hindsight as well you know the ability to look back at things and um put them into the 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 wider context so um yeah she was just wonderful wow. her husband had not decided to go the yeah. um assisted dying route he had let the, the illness run its course and had died at home with her by his side um so that was a, a you know a slightly different experience of that same terrible condition um but she gave me so much detail and it was little things like um when they were given their di the diagnosis in the hospital that she was handed a white plastic folder full of leaflets and said you know basically there's nothing you can do this condition is going to to take everything from your husband yeah. and therefore from you as his wife. And uh, but here's a here's a folder full of leaflets. That's about the best we can give you. And she told me that she stood up when the, the meeting was over and she walked away and she left. She purposefully left the folder sitting on the table and they they sort of ran after her and said oh you've forgotten your folder and she said I don't want that folder yeah and and it was just little things like that that were, were obviously so such an intense experience for her um and something so important to be able to say no in a situation where you've basically had your had all control taken from you you know, perhaps that was the only tiny thing she could control is to say, I do not want that folder. I'm not taking it home. I'm not going to sit and read those things. I will ask the questions when I need to. And we will deal with this in our way, not in a way that's set out in 
leaflets in a white plastic folder. Well, the white plastic folder goes into the Cypress maze and I and and Tess has that moment when she um, you know has that experience. So that was entirely thanks to Elsie Carnegie who who shared that you know really intimate detail of her um experience with me. That's beautiful and I love the fact she was able to sit and I think that's something we we don't do often when somebody is unwell or something has mm-hmm. happened the people who are around there's something almost unseemly isn't there about after the fact sitting and talking about that that sort of stuff yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily a typically British thing as well to almost be like that's mm-hmm. done we don't mm-hmm. we're not going to talk about all of that and I can imagine mm-hmm. how cathartic that must be to be able to just just say it all get it get it yes all. and and you know I was still pretty much a complete stranger we'd had one day of walking together and that was it and then we'd exchanged a few emails and um she turned up so she could say anything she wanted and she didn't need to protect me and I think that that's a really important aspect of it as well um which I try to get across in the Cypress maze that you know one of the things that Tess has found so difficult is that she has all this love and support from her immediate family and they're trying to protect her and she's trying to protect them from the the real harsh rawness of her grief and that's why for her it's such a relief to come away somewhere where nobody really knows her and um she can choose what to say and who she wants to say it to as well when she wants to say it when she's ready and I, I believe that that's a really important part of grief. You know, we, we do try and protect the people around us, whether it's our children or our parents or, you know, who, or our friends. Um, we, we all have one another's best interests at heart in that situation, but it makes it doesn't make it any easier. It's still no. impossible and painful and messy. And, um, and it doesn't follow any fixed timeline at all as, as well. No, completely, completely. And I think it's really beautiful that you've you've listened to somebody and you've included their story in ways. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's really beautiful. And in terms of the World War II element, my understanding is that's also based on a true story or has elements of a true story woven yes. as well. Yeah. Um I w- was in Tuscany um on a before I started writing this particular book, I was just in Tuscany on actually on a writing retreat. I was writing a, a different book. And um, I'd read about this beautiful garden at a place called La Foce, which is a way down in the south of Tuscany in, in a part of the region that people don't so often go to. You know, it's a bit away from Florence and Siena and all those beautiful medieval little hilltop towns. It's, it's, um, it's an area called the Val d'Orcia and it has a very different feel to it. It's a, it's a bit bleaker. Um, it's a bit wilder and it's sort of this forgotten valley Um, and I'd read about this estate that had a beautiful garden and I I love gardens so I thought right well I'll have a day off um, you know break from the writing and I'll go and um, visit this garden while I'm here what I hadn't realized was that the estate during the wartime was owned by a woman called Iris Arrigo and her husband Antonio and she wrote an incredible pair of war diaries um just the most amazing eyewitness account of what it was like to be there sitting in this you know beautiful setting um in a absolutely heavenly estate and she created this lovely garden there as well before the war 
and then war takes over. Yes. And and it's about how their lives were turned upside down and the, the, the hardships and the struggles that they had. But also she, she had an incredible generosity of spirit. She took in about 30 children um, who were evacuees from cities in the north and gave them a refuge in this gorgeous estate and looked after them. She had children of her own, very young children of her own as well. Um, and they could scarcely feed themselves. And yet they took in not just the children, but also they gave refuge to um, deserters from the Italian army who didn't want to fight on the side of the fascists. They gave refuge to escaped allied prisoners of war who came through. Um, they helped the families of, of workers on their estate, um, particularly the young men who were being conscripted and who didn't want to fight for the fascists and then um, would go and fight for the partisans instead, which wow. was incredibly dangerous. And, and of mm -hmm. course, you know, abandoning your home and your family and everything. So um, Iris was this wonderful woman who... <laughs> just had this generosity of spirit and huge courage as well because of course all the things she did very dangerous her own her own life at risk yeah you know taking a stand and um really not not just kowtowing to the local um fascist regime and then seeing the germans invade and also seeing the confusion and bewilderment but she was british well she she had um an american father and a british mother and so not quite naturally her tendency would be to be on the side of the allies but the allies were the enemy and the allies were bombing goodness yeah people in italy so you know it was incredibly sort of bewildering and confusing and then of course, Mussolini changed sides a few times for yep. measure. <laughs> yes. So, so to be able to read Iris's war diaries, which incidentally, and this is better than anything any author would write, she kept them in a tin box buried in the garden so that <sighs> no one would find them. And then oh, I love that. That's a proper, yeah. Absolutely. And um, so I, I read both her war diaries and thought, these are incredible books. What, a, what an eyewitness account just yeah. extraordinary by written by a, a woman who is incredibly intelligent incredibly brave very strong but with this kindness and generosity and compassion as well um she's just such an appealing character so once i'd read those i thought well there's no point writing that story because she's done it yes you know she I, what, so what i really didn't want to do with the cypress maze was just rewrite a fictionalized version of iris arigo's story she was a huge source of information for me, but I was quite careful to take that material and to add to it and to look elsewhere and to borrow inspiration from yeah. other places and in terms of other stories as well. So I hope that what I've come up with um, is, you know, sort of recognisably inspired by Iris and her beautiful estate, but I've hopefully taken it and made it my own, or at least Francesca's and Beatrice's, who are the the two wartime women in the book. Beautiful. And I wanted to ask you, obviously, as you've said, you know, your books draw on World War II. It's a common theme throughout them. What is it that draws you to that time period to write about? 
Um, originally, it was living in France, and the the house that I lived in was right on what had been the demarcation line between occupied wow. and unoccupied France. And along that line, there was an awful lot of resistance activity. Yes. Um, you know, horrendous things happened, um, both in terms of, of um, resistance activity and also retaliation against mm -hmm. that activity. Um, and people went through the most incredible hardships. There are huge stories of courage. There are also stories of denunciations, yes. you know, living in living in terror, uh, mm. in fear for your life. And at first, when I moved to France, I wasn't that aware of of all those different layers. But and and the French still don't like to talk about it today because it's. I think it's still too present and too raw really you know that world war ii although it's past history for us here in britain in france it still is very close to the surface and yeah. and has a lasting effect on every little community that you that you see in france um so little by little as i got to know my french neighbors better and as we would get together and have a few glasses of wine and you know that always yeah. helps people to open up and relax a bit they started telling these stories because I was very interested in knowing more about that history of of you know right right there what happened in the in the streets of my nearby mm. town what happened in the in the, the road that my house was on all of that um and they started telling me these stories and I thought they are absolutely incredible stories mm. and they're going to be lost yes and, yeah. and so that was what really prompted me to begin writing them down because I, I felt that it's really important that we you know that we don't forget but also that that these some of these lesser known stories these little snippets and yeah. tiny little bits I find so fascinating it's really stories of um ordinary people but in absolutely extraordinary yeah. times and it and it get you know it always gets me thinking how I don't know how I would respond none of us can say how we no. would really respond because we we don't know we would we hope we would do the brave thing and the courageous thing and the yeah. right thing but there are so many different factors that come into play you know if you're protecting your family if you're protecting your children for example yeah. um you know what what would you do um it's not black and white it's really um complex so it was that that really got me thinking about the World War II side. So, you know, it came from my time in France and that kind of first-hand experience. Um, but then I extrapolated it a bit to, and this is where my dual timelines start to come in, because yeah. I just felt, we, we, you know, there's still so much that we can learn from those ordinary people in extraordinary. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. How did they hang on? How did they keep hope when everything seemed to be just you know completely lost um and there are so many situations for us today that where that still yeah. those underlying themes are still incredibly relevant um and that's what I really enjoy looking at in my dual timeline fiction is that the contrasts but also the points of connection yeah. between past and present and and what we can still learn and and then, you know, just when we think we live this relatively charmed life, I mean, everybody has their own personal, um, you know, loss and bereavement and illness and difficulties and struggles, in my case, divorce. 
Um, you know, there are lots of ups and downs. But suddenly along comes a pandemic. Yes. And it's, you know, yeah. and, and, and again, you think, gosh, here we are. We are the ordinary people in extraordinary yeah. times now. How do we respond? Yeah. And, I, you know, it's so fascinating the way that history keeps on repeating itself. It really Even, does. It yeah. really does. You think you, you know, and you were saying World War II seems so far back for us. Yeah. But then you have something like a pandemic that you would never have thought mm-hmm. feasible or possible. Yeah. And I, mean, I think over the last few years, we've had some all sorts of strange things happen and it's absolutely (laughs) it's a crazy world it really really is but again you know it's not that long ago that you know especially my you know my grandparents were children during the war but I know stories of my great-grandparents and things they did it all kind of history has a way of just kind of repeating itself maybe slightly different elements Mm -hmm. but it's all about human spirit right it's still about exactly absolutely it's that it's that human response uh, a human spirit that's that's it absolutely hit the nail on the head Uh, (laughs) you know it is that spirit it's what keeps us going it's the intangible things it's the it's the not giving up hope it's the you know the the little flicker of light in the darkness the small kindnesses as well I think when you especially like during the pandemic there was so many horror stories about people Mm -hmm. buying everything up and people doing this and the little kindnesses I mean my neighbor and I we'd never spoken before the pandemic and suddenly we'd be stood miles apart because I was on my own with my children most of the time away so then we'd we'd sit apart having tea in the evenings and you know cigarette together talking it was little things like that that would never have happened and those connections became so important didn't they the things that we we would sort of take for granted and not seek out suddenly we realized what really mattered and it and it was that human interaction it is that human interaction and the the little acts of kindness the kindness of strangers as well um and it was no different in world war ii that's what it really was that was what it was about yeah absolutely and and it i think you're right you know there's the good the bad and the ugly and sometimes these extreme situations really show what people's true characters are and it's so encouraging and heartening to know how many people there are out there who care who are kind who are compassionate who will reach out who will be generous um and you know whether it's banging on a saucepan just to show support because that's all we can do but we'll jolly well (laughs) do it because that's all we can do or whether it's um you know, baking the cake for a neighbour and leaving it on their doorstep because you know they're alone and they're lonely, or whether it's getting involved in sewing PPE out of cast-off duvet covers, yeah. which <laughs> one of the things they were doing in my village. Um, you know, we do what we can do, and there are these wonderful stories of, of that that bind us together and that give us hope of that that sort of shared humanity. Yeah, and that's where I think no matter because you know um the media. We, that we are bombarded with on all sides, whether it's you know the mainstream news or whether it's social media, yeah. there's so much negativity there. And it, we really have to hang on to these glimmers of light and the positivity and not forget yes. <laughs> who we are and what is really important, whether, yeah. it, whether the times are good or bad. <laughs> oh, absolutely agree, absolutely agree. And you know, you've written so many beautiful books, The Cypress Maze is Imminent. What comes next for you? Well, I'm very glad you asked, Danny. I'm I'm going off piste a bit, uh, literally, because I've just come back from, well, about a month ago, 
I got back from spending three weeks in Nepal. Oh, wow. And I went trekking in the Himalayas and I went up to a, a Sherpa village and spent 10 days living there with the Sherpas. And it was the most incredible experience. Um, I'd wanted for some time to write a book about female plant hunters set in oh, the wow, Himalayas. okay. And again, one of those quirky coincidences, um, I, I live on very close to the River Tay and I swim in the river every morning, even in January, February wow. in Scotland. I swim in that river. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love it. I know. I'm one of those bonkers women who enjoys wild swimming. Um, and you get to meet everyone. You meet all the dog walkers and you meet all the early morning walkers. Everyone thinks you're insane. So they have to come and say to you. Oh, yeah. Bad. Yeah. And I, and I live in a small community where everyone knows everyone else's business anyway, or thinks they do. Um, so anyway, there was this, this guy who used to come past with his very nice dog and I would talk to the dog. And um, in the end, the guy came up and introduced himself. And it turns out that he had started a charity called the Little Sherpa Foundation, which is involved in supporting this Sherpa village. And, you know, there was I swimming in the river and trying to work out my storylines for my um yeah. female plant hunter in the Himalayas and suddenly there's this local connection so Incredible. I went out with him and he had all the, the links to the Sherpa village and we had a BBC film crew with us which was good fun as well and um yeah it was just the most amazing experience and I just felt that you know everything was sort of telling me to write this book and so that's what I'm writing at the moment. Oh my goodness, that sounds absolutely incredible. And what an incredible experience as well. I yeah. can't even imagine. It must just be, I mean, what what rich research for you as well. You just, oh, you know, incredible. It, it, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a cliche, but it really was the journey of a lifetime in all, all ways. And it, it was something, it, it's an area of the world that I'd never been to before, but I'd always dreamt of going there. And to go in that way, to do research for a book and have access to that really rich experience of getting to know the day-to-day -day life of the Sherpa people rather than just going as a tourist um was yeah just incredible so I'm, I'm trying to shoehorn as much of that as I can into my into my new book <laughs> wonderful now look you obviously love history you're obviously very well traveled so I feel like your novel evening you've got a lot to draw on I feel yes. like this is going to be interesting. So well, <laughs> I think it's eclectic is possibly okay, the word. I, like I was giving it some evening. thought. Okay. Um, so we could have gone to the Himalayas. You know, we could have actually gone halfway to Everest Base Camp for this, but it probably wouldn't have been all that much of a party. because <laughs> <laughs> I'm also very unfit, so I don't even know how to make it that. <laughs> Alcohol and altitude are not a good combination. No, that's that true. Saying, you know, there doesn't have to be alcohol to make it a fun <laughs> evening. But so I decided I'd rein it in a bit and I would come back to the Cypress Maze. Wonderful. And we are going to go to La Foche, to this stunningly beautiful Tuscan estate. That's where we're going to go. Perfection. For our, for our I've evening. never been to Italy. I want to go. This is ideal. Danny, you'll love it. And, it, and this, <laughs> is, this is one of the most beautiful places to be. So Perfect. we have our You've already started off great. <laughs> Excellent. So we picture the scene. We have our, our ochre coloured, very beautiful villa in the background, lots of tall, dark cypress trees. And then we have this stunning garden. 
with views looking out across the Val d'Orcia to um, Monte Amiata, which is a huge mountain. It's actually an extinct volcano and it's wow. off, off there in the distance. So, so that's our setting. Um, yeah. And then because I'm big into my food, <laughs> and that's one of the big attractions of Italy as yeah, well. Absolutely. <laughs> I then thought, well, come on, okay, we've got the setting. So, what about the food? And I, I, I've been watching Stanley Tucci's wonderful um, programs, his series. I, I love his TikTok as well. He's, he's great. Wonderful. He's so funny, and he's so down to earth, and he's so self-effacing. And he's doing these these wonderful programs at the moment, going around Italy and just basically eating himself silly and having a great time. So I thought we'd, we'd have him along, not to cook, not that I'm dissing his cooking, but um, <laughs> I think we'll give him the evening off cooking and yeah. he can just wax lyrical about the food and the wine and tell us a bit about the background to it. But I'm going to get the wonderful chef, Angela Hartnett, to come and cook oh, for us. Amazing. She, uh, I never I, again this is something I didn't know when I you know first saw her on television I just assumed she was she was a British chef and she'd done incredibly well for herself and she got Michelin stars and worked with all the best of them um and then I was reading something about her and actually her mother and her grandmother were Italian oh, wow. and so it's in her blood and she is wonderful with her Italian food and she's written a beautiful book called three generations of italian cooking so it's her, her grandmother her mother and her recipes so who's better to cater for us than angela oh, perfect and yes. stanley would love that and stanley absolutely and he'll be telling us all the background about the dishes and where they come from and all of that so um yeah so that's the the setting and the food two of my main priorities and then we need a few guests of course we do we do we can't just have stanley coming in <laughs> well, we, we could we could but he might he might be a bit overwhelmed he might yes absolutely so who else have you got joining us for this okay well feet? i'm going to invite some authors along because Wonderful. i've got so many great author friends and they are just such fun to be around and we you know, we laugh together, we cry together, we go through all the ups and downs of being an author and, uh, you know, if, all the good, the bad and the ugly that goes with it. Um, so there are a couple of local authors who I'm going to invite along. One is a woman called Anne Lindsay, who wrote a book called Seeds of Blood and Beauty, which is about Scottish plant hunters. And it was ah. her book that originally inspired me to think about writing the Nepal book. Incredible. Um, so Anne's going to come along and she's a complete hoot. She's wonderful. just wonderful. She's absolutely wonderful. She also helped me. When I first met her, um, a, a mutual friend introduced us because I was writing a book called The Dressmaker's Gift, mm -hmm. which is set in Paris against the backdrop of the couture industry during yep. World War II. Anne actually worked in Paris in the 1950s in the couture industry. You have a so, lot of coincidences. Oh, I mean, <laughs> it's really, uncanny. <laughs> it is really uncanny. You know, the universe will deliver. That's for sure. You just have to sit still and wait for it. Wait it for it. Happen. Yeah. So we'll have Anne along. And then there's another great local writer friend of mine called Gillian Galbraith. And she yep. used to be a crim criminal barrister. So she's got all the juice. She's got all yeah, the, the best juicy cases. And she's got, a, a, you know, as a lot of them, I think, do, a lot of crime writers do, and probably criminal barristers too. She has a lovely dark sense of humour. 
Um, and she writes crime books. So we'll get her along because she's a hoot. We need so, some, I like the dark. I love true crime as well. That's yeah. one of my passions. So I, I want to yeah. delve into those those stories. This oh, is- she'll be great. And as we're tucking in, you know, we're sitting in this or standing or whatever we're doing, wandering through this beautiful garden, eating this gorgeous food with Stanley filling us in on the food side of things. She's going to be providing all the really sort of juicy stories and, um, you know, lots of food for thought there. And we can ask her all the questions we have about police procedure and interesting yeah, cases. I love that. that. And you've got lots of on. different topics here. You've got lots of yeah. different stories. You've got Stanley with Hollywood. And yeah. You've got stories about plant hunting. And I, I love Scotland. My family originated from Scotland, so I can ask all the questions. Brilliant. I'm here for this. Okay, so you've That's got a couple great. of authors. Yeah, a couple of authors. Right. I would also like to have um, two real life characters who've who've appeared in my book. So one is Iris Arrigo, because after all, we're in her home. So I think we should have her and then we can ask her more about her experience. And she can show us around the gardens that she created. So we'll definitely have Iris. And the the other absolute heroine of mine is someone who I I wove into my book called The Storyteller of Casablanca. Mm -hmm. And that's Josephine Baker, who was a, yeah, just the most incredible woman who ever lived. She, she was, she fought for civil rights. She fought in the resistance um, during World War II. You know, she's a woman of color. Back in the 1940s, she left America to come to France where she felt she was freer. Um, and then, of course, the Nazis invaded and she found she wasn't freer. Yes. But she was she was this incredible, um, you know, burlesque singer and performer, huge character, huge personality. Um, and yeah, she just when I was doing my research for the storyteller of Casablanca, she just shone like a beacon. And so most of my characters I fictionalize because it gives me a bit more freedom. To, yes. to write the stories that I want to tell but with Josephine I just had to put her in that book so she appears as a character and a little bit earlier this year I was invited to Marrakesh to a, an international storytelling festival there and I met one of Josephine's adopted sons oh she, my goodness yeah she she couldn't have children of her own and so in true Josephine Baker style she adopted 12 children yeah she called them her rainbow tribe. They were all shapes and sizes and colors and religions and faiths and nationalities. Oh. And um, I met Brian, who is one of her one of her sons, and um, talked to him. And he'd read my book, and it was just so lovely hearing these stories about about Josephine from him. Incredible. And, yeah, and thank God he um, approved of how I'd. Oh. woven her into my story my book I know it was a nervous moment just waiting for that I'd, I'd appropriated his mother as one of my characters um so it was great meeting him and I really felt that that you know it was it was the second best thing to being able to actually give her a hug having a hug from him was oh like having goodness. a hug from Josephine so we we definitely get her along because she's just the Perfect most wonderful choice. And she could sing for us as well. Yeah. You know, oh, if she's a performer. She would a lull in the conversation. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll get Josephine up there to sing. So we'll have yeah. some music and some dancing too. Um, so those are my sort of real life people. But um, I would also like to have, if I may, um, Mr. Darcy, Colonel Brandon, and Mr. Knightley. 
for any know, particular reason <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Jane Austen would lend them to us for the evening I've clearly been watching too much Bridgerton because you know who doesn't you love <laughs> who doesn't love a gorgeous man in a pair of Regency britches um, this is gonna be very are... warm so they'll have to roll their sleeves up and oh do you think one of them might jump in the lake and come out with his possibly white uh, his white Darcy shirt might. <laughs> what a shame what a shame that and would he be he will look just like Colin Firth of course I'd be launching my hat into the water <laughs> yes oh, oh no oh help he must rescue so, yes, my hat we're gonna have this really really strange evening um with these region regency fictitious heroes and um and Stanley Tucci and Josephine Baker <laughs> and some authors thrown in for good measure are you up for it yeah, I am absolutely down for it. I think this could end up being a wild evening as well. I think oh. you know, Spanish wine's flowing. I think this could become <laughs> a dangerous all, night. <laughs> all the best evenings do end up being a little bit wild, don't they? They do. Let's face it. And that in that beautiful setting, with all that lovely food and wine, yeah, anything could happen. Perfection. And usually this is the point where I ask, if there's anybody who's not welcome to your evening. Oh, no cads and bounders. Yeah. You know, we're going for our heroes. So um, we will not have Mr. Wickham from Absolutely Pride and Prejudice. And, and no boars either. No boars allowed. No. So no Mr. Elton either. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree yeah. with this. This is a night for fun conversation and dancing oh, and singing. And... We're going to just laugh and talk and dance and sing and eat and drink the night away in the most heavenly Promise. setting. And it, I love life, it. Life doesn't get better than that. It really doesn't. This is a superb <laughs> evening. This sounds so much fun. I want it to happen now. Let's <laughs> be real. It, it sounds a bit either like a really amazing dream or a really weird nightmare where things start. Just, you know, the wheels yes. just start coming off. <laughs> it's it's going to be one I or love the other. It. It's so much fun. I think you brought such a range of characters to it as well, which is what you need for a good night. Absolutely. You need some wild cards. Yeah. Put, put, you know throw it all into the mix and see what happens absolutely absolutely <laughs> i love that you've got a nod to your book as well that's what we love that's <laughs> in there and before i let you go and enjoy the rest mm -hmm. of your evening i have to ask if you're reading anything at the moment i'm always reading things i'm a i'm a binge reader and i i'm usually reading two or three books at a time oh, goodness. um i've just finished barbara kingsolver's demon copperhead which is oh fantastic she just won the women's prize yes, for fiction. yes yes um amazing she has out dickens charles dickens in this goodness it's because it's based very loosely on david copperfield mm -hmm. of course demon copperhead um but she's transposed the story to modern day um america and and the area of america in the appalachian mountains where she lives which is an incredibly poor mm -hmm. area and she's really taking on big pharma and um wow. and you know um, the, the the huge prescription drug problem that yes. exists in america um and it's such an amazing social commentary mm. um but so you know just brought to life and and she's always been one of my favorite authors she's she's one of the authors that i think probably inspired me to start writing because i just loved her work so much and you know, that was probably 25 years ago when I was thinking that. And here she is 
coming out with another amazing book and right winning, something incredible winning a global prize for literature as well she's just a wonderful person so so that's a book that I've just finished and um I needed something really good but different to, yeah. to read next you know how when you've got so involved in a book you need and, almost a palate cleanser yeah, you you're you're bereft yes. yeah you're absolutely bereft when you when you finish it um, and so you need to go on to something else that you're right it's a palate cleanser I like the I like the food and drink analogy yep. there. You're on my wavelength. <laughs> <laughs> so at the moment, I'm reading something much um, quieter and um, slower paced. It's a book called A Town Called Solace by oh. Mary Lawson. And I love her, her books. Um, she wrote Crow Lake. Mm-hmm. And she, she hasn't written many novels, but and she's been around for a long time. So she's... I would say she's probably a fairly slow writer as well as her books being quite a slow read, but they are quietly powerful oh. and and her characters just have a way of, of drawing you in and absorbing you. So that's what I'm reading at the moment. Beautiful. Oh, it sounds wonderful. And honestly, thank you so, so much for joining me. I think this has been a, it's been a really moving evening, actually. I've, I've loved the conversation we've had. Thank you so much for sharing, you know, all about the Cypress Maze. I'm sure it's going to do incredibly. It is due out on the 18th of July. So whenever this comes out, you'll be able to get your copy, go and grab it. And again, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Danny, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Novel Evening. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Please remember to go over and rate, subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and check us out on Instagram at A Novel Evening Podcast and over on TikTok under the same name. And we'll see you next week. Bye bye.